Well, you know what? There's a transcript. Some of you have heard this. It's the actual radio conversation of a U.S. naval ship with Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland. The Canadians are on the radio saying to this U.S. naval ship, please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The Americans recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Canadians, negative. You will have to divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians, no, I say again, divert your course. Americans, in capital letters, so it must have been said with such authority. This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. I say again, that's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadians, this is a lighthouse, your call. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> oh, aren't we tough? You know... I think that's so funny because I sometimes think God comes to us and we are so into our theology and so into what we believe. And he, through the Holy Spirit, is prompting us and nudging us and, and saying, no, I really want you to read the Bible and, and to understand not just the way you've seen it with your lenses, but I really want to divert your course. And we go, no, you divert your course. It's really hard. I spoke last week about worldview, and I gave that story about Acts and Paul coming on the island of Malta and the snake attaching to his wrist and the islanders thinking that he was a god. He didn't fall over and die at first, and so their next conclusion, he's a god. And uh, it's just not the way we would think, because we would just be thinking that snake just didn't have enough venom or Paul had some immunities or something. Our Western lenses of civilization, of a scientific, rationalistic, materialistic, physical kind of approach to life would not see things like that. But it was a miracle. God, through the spirit realm, intervened. And my guess is somehow I think he uses angels even in those situations to to attend to the needs of those who have been hurt, and we may not even be aware of things such as that. So I introduced this series by asking people to consider the worldview, and then you wouldn't believe how many people came up to me this week and were just so excited, thinking, and they'd say, is this where you're going? And I'd go, you just have to come Sunday. (laughs) A number of them, I have to tell you, no, I'm not heading in that direction. Um, In fact, sometimes I I feel that, as, I, as a pastor over the years, that people are excited for me to come up and to affirm and confirm what they believe. That's part of my job, if you're on target. Part of my job is to stretch and to, to allow the Spirit of God to push and to nudge and to cause you to be possibly more open to His Word and the ways that He looks at life as Jesus walked. That's part of your job with me. And it's not just to affirm and confirm. It's to actually to push and to cause us to, to stretch and to struggle which is a good thing. So what lens do you view reality with? Today I want you to consider what realm do you live in? Not just your lens, but what realm do you live in? If we are called to live in within the realm of the spirit of the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, do you? I want to tell you another story from the book of Acts. 
It's kind of like story time these last few weeks, okay? If you turn in your Bibles, Acts 12.1, some of you can just follow along. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along right with the slides. And I know that there are some who will say that Acts is history, so you don't build doctrine off of history. But then I again say, get real. Because Genesis, Exodus, parts of Leviticus, Numbers, most of the Old Testament and most of the New Testament, we actually do take theological truths and we say these seem to be consistent throughout the Word of God. So if they're consistent, then that's obviously the way God works. The story of Peter's escape from prison. It's a very interesting story. About chapter 8, what had happened is persecution began to set in in the church. The church was having these wonderful years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The church was growing in numbers. And, and Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to be witnesses because there will be power will come upon you. And, and I just have to say, tell you that through Luke and Acts and other places in the Scripture, there's this idea that the Spirit and power comes. And we'll talk about that at another time. But this idea that, that the power had come on the people to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And they were having a great time in Jerusalem. The church was growing. Everybody was doing well. And then they had forgot their mission that they were called to actually go out and, and to bring this truth of God's love to all kinds of people. Let people know there is a heaven and there's a hell. But there's also in this life an opportunity to come into the realm of God's spirit, his kingdom, where you can live and you can walk and you can be ministered to. And and, and you're to go out and tell everybody that. Well, they got so caught up, as we sometimes do, get focused inward on what's going on, where you live and what you're doing, that God allowed for persecution to come into the church in Acts 8 and it caused them to have to spread. Well, persecution is continuing. And here's where you get into Acts 12. At this point, probably um, as persecution continues here in this in this area of of Jerusalem, Herod, I think, was a person who was the king over this realm. And he was a king, and in some ways, put into power by the Romans because Herod had the ability to somehow, he was somewhat part of the countrymen of that, of that day, of that Palestine area, but yet he was really a political pawn in many ways. But he wanted to make sure that he was always on the political good side of both Rome and the Jewish political group of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and those who ran basically this Jewish nation. So it was about this time, verse 1, that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had a brother, James. He had a brother, James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, there's a couple of James in Scripture. James, this is the disciple, the brother of John. And a little bit later, we'll refer to James, who is the brother of Jesus. And James, the brother of Jesus, interestingly enough, became the one who really led the church. He wasn't a believer in Jesus in the days that Jesus walked on the earth. And even the, he, he didn't really come to faith and, and, and to a life in, and understanding his brother's life until after the death and resurrection of his brother. You might believe, you know, you have trouble, we all have trouble with siblings, but, you know, if your sibling showed up to you having resurrected, you might have a different view of things. <laughs> and when he saw that this pleased the Jews, this putting to death one of the leaders of the disciples, and he saw that it was a good thing, it pleased him, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Hey, I'll get another one. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
Remember, this pleased basically the religious political ruling establishment made up of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And to gain even greater favor, Herod decides to go for another big gun. I'll get another big gun. So he arrests Peter with the intention to kill him as well. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over, now catch this, to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. That's quite a battalion. See, these Jesus people weren't your regular prisoners. It was known that one of them supposedly resurrected from the dead. Guards weren't too good at guarding them, so he thought, you know, I'll go ahead, I'll make sure we have four squads of four soldiers each. These, these Jesus people have been known to have some strange kind of power. And so Herod was going to take no chances. So as you read on, you see it says, Herod intended to bring him out for public trial. Now catch this, after the Passover. What happened maybe a year or two years before when Jesus was what? He was put out and he had a chance. They said, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas, right? And they chose Jesus. Well, this is kind of a cool thing. It really got a lot of the Jews behind Pilate and also got them behind Herod. So Herod's thinking, maybe this is not a bad thing to do. Let's do it again. It's a way to get the people behind me. Pilate, Herod, and even the Jews were at the core politicians. They lived by the popular poll. They like to keep their ratings high. We have all kinds of that stuff going on right now, don't we? But it wasn't the case with those who followed Jesus that's not the way I live as a pastor, nor the way should you live. It doesn't mean you try and tick people off, but it means that you serve God first, and then that serving God, he teaches you and helps you as you walk with him to know how to serve and to love people best, because it's real easy to play to what people want. Not Jesus. Like Jesus, we don't need the testimony and approval of men. It says at one point, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and he believed, and they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. He was not one who lived by the poles. He did not mean man's testimony or approval about man for he knew what was in man's heart. Jesus knew how fickle and how prone we are to needing acceptance from others and he didn't live that way. John comments later in John chapter 5 verses 40, 40 Verses 1 through 12, around in that area. 11 and 12 it is. He says, I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have, and listen to this, the love of God in your hearts. He did not say, I know that you do not have the scripture of God in your heads, because they had it. In fact, he says it a few words later. He says, you know the word of God really well, but you don't have the love of God in your hearts. Now, the next verse as we go on is great because it's one of the truths of Scripture which talks about the fact that power is released through prayer and worship. People earnestly coming before God, worshiping Him. Anytime people come in spirit and truth, as we came this morning, when asked where and how we should worship, Jesus never said this is how you should do it. He says just in this sense, do so from your heart. That's true worship. So that's really what the church is doing here. Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church, you can underline that, was earnestly praying to God for him. They came together to worship, but primarily to offer themselves in prayer on behalf of the need of Peter. And you'll find this truth all over the book of Acts. The church sincere, united, praise and worship. And God listens and God, through the Holy Spirit, acts. In fact, we forget sometimes we don't realize the names and we say, oh, the book of Acts, and we don't think about what that means. It was the acts of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what was so phenomenal about that, that, that early church experience of, of what Jesus said. And when he came to the end, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I believe we have, at least in my history, been so much enamored and feel safe with God the Father who protects us and provides for us and, and cares for us. And we can get around the concept of God the Father. And we talk about Jesus who, like a brother, loves us. And not only that, gives his life for us and, and how he sacrifices. And we can look at his life and how he lived. But it's a little more difficult to get your hands around the Spirit, isn't it? But that's what this book is about. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's about people who now have as a whole Jesus living in them and also individually. And it's by the Spirit that God was acting in the early church. And people are praying in small groups at family dinner tables. In their homes as they put their kids to bed. They were serious because they understood that Jesus said, ask anything in my name and I'll do it. And they were unified and they were earnest and they meant business. I think much of what we are about as a church, we mean business. I, I came to this church for the purpose of not playing church or trying to, to do church, but really to live out as best I could with you what it means to love God and to love Jesus and to love the people around us, to do good in our community like we talked about in this last series, which we'll continue to talk about, to actually do good in our community, to live lives that, that touch people with God's love. That live lives that touch people with the love of God so they can understand that they don't have to live apart from him. They don't have to live apart from him and have to wonder whether they're going to go to heaven or not or whether they're going to go to hell. They can know a God personally involved in their life, no longer separated, but with him. That's what we're called as a group to do. As a church, to open our arms as a body, not just to do good in the community, but to receive people when they come on Sunday mornings, to, to not just look for our friends, but to look for someone who's coming in, who's saying, you know, I need God. I, I, I don't understand this, but I've heard possibly that the Holy Spirit's here. That's what we're about. We're about a church, and I look at many of you, and I, you, we're about a church that needs to unleash and un in a sense, understand and let go and give to the next generation this place so that this place can remain for generations to generations so that God can do a work. It's not about the way we worship. It's about a God who loves us and we want to share with others. And so here you see them praying together and God hears their call and the angel comes to his, he, God says as he hears their cry and their prayers, he, he does what I think often he does in heaven. This is the way I imagine it. He calls an angel next to him. He says to the angel, Bob, I thought he used his name, Bob. There may be an angel, Bob. I don't know. Sue? Anyway. He says, go to Jerusalem and release Peter from prison. That's your assignment. That's a cool assignment. There's 16 guards down there. Yeah, I could probably do that. So that's so easy for God. God can do those kind of things. 16 guards, 160 guards, doesn't matter. A massive two-ton stone in front of a grave, not a big deal for God. A giant before a boy with a sling, not a big deal for God. A few, you know, a few lions in a den with a guy named Daniel, I can close their mouths. A group of people before a massive sea, I can part that. Whatever you have in your life, you know what? If God's intending to and active and is, if he wants it, he can move that. Sometimes he doesn't because sometimes God just wants to build your character. It's about knowing him more fully. It's about learning to trust him. And then sometimes God gives the faith to you or to someone else. And God acts by the Holy Spirit to do things that you could never believe could be done. Because you know what? Sixteen guards is not too big for one angel. So the angel is assigned to go down. So verse six, the night before God was to bring him before Herod was to bring him to trial. 
I like this. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Don't you wish you could sleep that well? (laughs) Do you know what? I think we're supposed to in this spirit life. I think that's one of the things that God wants to give. He says it's a gift that he gives to people. And it doesn't always happen. We also are so human that he understands and we wrestle with things. But you know what? I think he wants to give this gift. And here's Peter. I mean, if anybody should have been not sleeping that night, who should have not been sleeping? Peter. In fact, he's not just sleeping. He's sleeping hard. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And the sentry stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord, verse 7, appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And I like this. He struck Peter on the side. I, I don't know if he goes, hey, get up, buddy. Yeah, can you picture it? Takes maybe the guy's spear. Or, you know, hey, Peter. Well, and, he, and it says, and he woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. It's, it's so real. It's not ethereal. You know, quick, get up. And he said, The chains fell off Peter's wrists. You know, what's Peter thinking? Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Here's what Peter's thinking. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. He had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Amazing. How many would have been wide awake? Peter follows this angel out of prison. He has no idea what the angel's doing. He thinks he's seeing a vision. In fact, the lines of reality of those who lived according to the Bible in that early church and many times throughout history, the lines of reality are pretty thin in the sense there's a veil, a thin veil that separates this realm of the spirit where the angels and Other spirits are compared to the realm of what we see. And so he's not quite sure. Did you know that that's still happening today? People are seeing visions. Did you know that God is reaching through many, many people through visions, people in Muslim countries? Did you know that? Jesus is, they don't have the word of God. Jesus is showing up to them in visions or in dreams and leading them to places where they come to faith in Christ. I heard that from someone who's working with the Muslims. And so this last Thursday night, I had dinner with a few people from Wayzata. One of them was Scott and Alyssa Randall, who are going to be going to Turkey. And I thought, you know, I'm going to throw that out there. Have they heard it? And they said, oh, yeah, that's happening. Do you know, I read that book, Brother Yoon, where they do two-hour messages and stuff like that. Do you know that in China, in the house church, they often saw dreams and visions? It's not something that happened back then. It's happening now. Do you know that even in our country today, people are seeing dreams and visions? I love how the story continues. They passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It's really kind of neat in that book, um, The Heavenly Man, I think we're going to have in the library by Brother Yoon. Um, I almost had the opportunity to meet him, but he was, because of all the beatings and sufferings he had went through, the person who um, was going to arrange the time for me to meet um, said he just wasn't able to make the trip any longer. He just was, his body had been so broken down through all the suffering they had gone through. And uh, he, he, he tells the story about when he was in the highest, uh, the, the highest um, what do they call it, correctional facility, or, or basically it was a, um, he was in the 
execution area. He was waiting to be executed. And he had a similar thing where an angel came and led him through a whole bunch of gates right past people. It says, they passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they walked through the length of one street, suddenly the angel left. Kind of like, you're on your own, Peter. This is all I was assigned to do. Ciao. You know, adios. Verse 11, then Peter came to himself. It's then, when the, when the angel is gone, Peter said, I, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord Jesus sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. It took that long. Because nothing can thwart the purpose of God for your life. Nothing. If you choose to live by the Spirit, the Father will protect you by His Spirit. Like Jesus, we can live our life in total confidence, knowing that the hour will not come until God determines it. I have the sense of God's call in my life, that He has yet something still to do for me. So <clears throat> I would, sometimes when I get on planes, there's a part of me that wants to go, everybody get on the plane because I know this one's safe. Because my hour hasn't come. There is really a sense that you can kind of, I mean, that's just what was going on. But there is a real sense that you can live with a, a real sense of knowledge and confidence that the hour will come when God ordains it. And when it comes, then you just trust in God's ordaining it. It doesn't mean you live flippantly. It just means that you can know that, that we have been created for a purpose. And God, if you live with him by the Spirit, will, he will make certain guarantee that you will get to that place of your purpose. You may not always understand when God intervenes and takes someone. Verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Basically, Peter goes to his small group meeting. They happened, I guess, to be meeting on that night. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. This is when it gets good. When she recognized Peter's voice, he's out there. So on the other side, it's locked. They're afraid of the Jews and this persecution. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter's at the door! Peter's at the door! She runs into the small group. See, I think she must have been upstairs preparing the communion and maybe heard the door knock, ran down to the group. And I just think this is funny. Can you imagine the angels looking on from heaven at this scene? Here's Peter standing there knocking and she's running downstairs. Hey, Rhoda, let me in. Rhoda, she's downstairs. And here's the place I wanted to bring you to. All the stuff before was extra, okay? This is, to me, where we're getting to the heart. They have been praying for Peter's release. Look at the group's response to Rhoda's announcement that Peter's at the door. Their first response is, Rhoda, you're nuts. Peter's in prison. He's got 16 guards around him. He's chained. He's back at prison. Literally, verse 15 says, you're out of your mind, they told her. The Greek word is minamai. And it comes from, we get the word today, manic from it. Maniac. And it means to be crazy or intoxicated. In a sense, they were saying, Rhoda, um, that's the last time we're letting you prepare the communion wine. 
But Rhoda doesn't give in. Rhoda heard a voice. She heard it was Peter. So she persists, verse 15, when she kept on insisting that it was so. Now, this is what I just is amazing. It just amazes me. They said. It must be what? His angel. They think it can't be Peter. So logically, if Rhoda isn't nuts, then it's got to be Peter's angel. The belief is that God had placed the Jewish belief, a guardian angel around those each of us. And so it must be that guardian angel. This seems to be that would be far more plausible than Peter standing at the door. It's his angel. Now, here's the question I want to ask you again this morning. You're at a small group. You're praying for someone to be released. What would your response be? In which realm do you live? Put that on the back burner for a second. We'll just finish the story. Verse 16. Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand. Can you just see him? It's going to go what he's doing when you're all kind of meeting and greeting each other. Motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And I go, that must have been the coolest small group study they had, right? Let me tell you. I get this. He's, he's knocking me. My chains fall off. And on and on and on. And then he says, tell James, the brother of Christ, and the brothers about this. He said, and then he left for another place. Because you don't live in a way, you live according to wisdom. And wisdom said, don't stay in that place because they're going to become looking for you, Peter. And he knew that he was supposed to be wise. He didn't test God or put him to the test. Verse 18. In the morning... Like this, there was no small commotion among the soldiers into what had happened to Peter. Weren't you guarding him? How in the world could he get the chains off? Can you imagine this? Well, the big iron gate, aren't you standing there? What do you mean the gate just opened? You know, can you hear what's going on? But there's a reason why. Look at verse 19. After Herod had a thorough search made for Peter and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they... Be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. There's some points I want you to ponder. Here's what I want us to wrestle with this week. I want you to wrestle with this, to stretch yourself. I want to ask you to ask yourself. I want you to read the Bible, to talk to others, to inquire, to seek to understand this. In which realm do you live? Is it merely physical, that which you see, or spiritual, that which you see by faith? Just a few concluding thoughts, and that is first, this is what I think the Word of God makes very clear. There is a spiritual realm. The Bible teaches us Jesus taught, he revealed it, the early church lived it. And so I go back to my question, what would have your response been if you heard Peter was at the door? How many would have said, Rhoda, you're hitting the sauce again? And if she persisted, how many of you would have taken the next step and said, oh, it must be Peter's angel? That's just bizarre, right? All I want to do today is to broaden our horizons. I believe we have a very limited understanding of reality as the Bible presents it. It is based far more on our sight than on our faith. It is far more physical than spiritual. It is far more Western with our lenses 
than biblical. Here's what we normally see. What's physical, right? We see pews and we see music stands and we see a piano and we see a platform and we see people. That's what we see. We see bricks and mortar. And we even go so far as to believe there is a God up there somewhere that worked at some point back in history. But do we really believe right now that as we are here and as we have worshipped, there are angels around? If God so choose to pull back the veil, and I believe some people see this. I haven't, but um, you would actually see angels. Do we really believe there's a realm of the spirit that is more real than this physical realm that we see, that we hear, that we taste and we touch? Do you really believe there are fallen angels? The Bible calls them demons, calls them unclean spirits, calls them evil spirits. Do you really believe they seek to deceive and destroy you? Do we really believe there's an unseen realm all around us? And if there is, what does it play in our, our lives? And if there is, how do we live in it? And if there is, how do we begin to grow in our understanding of it? Does it even make a difference in how we live? You see, we see microscopic, we, we, we believe about microscopic bugs, even though we don't see it. We hear about quarks and black holes and how many, I don't know, have seen those, but you believe it, right? In one sense, it really isn't that difficult to believe things we don't see because we take it on the basis of faith of someone who's an expert. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Who would have thought there were black holes or other planets or other suns or other universes within our solar system? There's so many unseen things in our solar system, yet we don't question what we've been told. In fact, there's an article that came out in February. It says, high-energy electron holes reveal unseen things. We read it in the paper. Gaps in the soup of high-energy particles near the orbits of two of Saturn's tiny moons indicate that Saturn may be surrounded by undiscovered near-invisible partial rings. Anybody doubt it? Yeah, probably don't. Yeah, that's probably true. Science is saying so. Or who would have thought there are microscopic bugs that live in a realm that is too small for the physical eye to see? Who would have thought that there are, is un, in this unseen world two things too tiny to see or too far to observe? And who would have thought there are realms seen only with the eye through a microscope or with the eye through a telescope? Or catch this with the eye of the Spirit, through the Spirit. In which realm do you live? See, we grow up as babies. We learn to live in the realm of the flesh, the physical material. We have drives and we have these instinctual responses. And at a certain point, we either through um, sin that causes us to come to a point of a dead end or through the patterns that we've learned to, to live in, they become prisons to us. And some, at some point, people cry out and they say, God, I need you. And it tells us in the Word of God um, that Jesus spoke often about this realm, and he talked to people who were hungering for more than what was just physical. They wanted not just only a relationship with this God, but they wanted a relationship with God in the way that he created reality so that it was real. And he would talk about the kingdom of heaven, which really means, if you want to use it, the kingdom is this realm of authority where God rules and lives. This is, it's really a realm where the Spirit, because God is Spirit, exists. And what has happened, there was a man um, at Trinity Seminary, where I went to seminary, his name is Dr. Paul Hebert. He used to often talk about the excluded middle that most believers live with. 
they live with this idea that there are really two tiers. There's an upper tier where God and spiritual forces reside. This is the way the Western world lives. And then there's this lower tier, the physical. That's which, which is empirical and, and material and natural. Can be examined and scientifically understood. And these two tiers tend to be, tend to be in, in the Western world regarded as, as mutually exclusive. But that's not biblical. There's this incredible interplay. There isn't this excluded middle. Only if we choose to live in that way. In fact, what's interesting, the Western church has tended to exclude a theology of God with regard to the spirit will. Western missionaries, and I've spoken with many of them, have frequently found themselves in in situations where they have been unable to address questions of this middle level because they've had hardly any um, understanding of the demonic realm or any understanding of how the angelic beings work and how they minister. And then they come into these situations because two-thirds of the world believes that the spiritual realm has great impact on the physical realm. And catch this. We're living in a Western world, and if you want to talk about the spirituality and just the names of things you see on TV today, isn't it interesting? There are, there's a whole generation of people that are saying, there's got to be something more than this. And that's why they're open to things in the Eastern religious faith. Dr. Paul Hebert states, there are two dangers against which we must guard. And both have to do with extremes. The first is to tend towards denying the spiritual realm, living in these two separate tiers. And the second is a Christianized form of animism in which spirits and magic are used to explain everything. There's a demon under every rock kind of a thing. So how do you live in this middle ground? Like Jesus did. Is it possible there's more to life than you've ever thought? Could it be the adventure of living by faith in this realm called the spirit is far more interesting and captivating than what the boys in blue will do against the Detroit Tigers this afternoon? The twins. Let me just share with you another thing. Not only is there a spiritual realm according to the word of God, there are times throughout history when this realm is clearly seen. From God's word, there appears to be times throughout history when the heavens are parted and the spirit realm is seen. There are times when when you can look into the word of God and you'll see there's these kind of explosions of the spiritual realm into the realm of the physical. Moses and Joshua. Incredible amount of miracles. Angels come. Things that are happening. Elijah and Elisha. Jesus and the early church. You can go back into church history and see these times when they've worked. Where God has come and done incredible things. St. John of the Cross, you talk about the miracles that happened there. You talk about others throughout history where Wesley and others who saw the works of God and were just amazed by it. And you go, why is it? Why is it that, that God will somewhat show up in certain times and this veil that, that separates these two realms gets really thin and all of a sudden you see the interaction of God working? Well, part of it, folks, is faith. Part of it is understanding and being open to the very fact that there is this God who works. Why would God use, just to put this out here, a Pentecostal church that exploded throughout the two-thirds world in, the, in around the 1900s? Even with all the things you want to say, well, they have this abuse and they do this and they have this wrong. We're so good at, at saying, theologically, we've got to correct, but, you know, and then we can point out all the wrong things. But you know what they had? They had one thing really right. 
And that was that there was a spirit of God that was active, that moved, that prayed, that they prayed to. And they saw God work. And God, through that, went through the two-thirds world because there was a world that was open to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, there are times when the realm of the Spirit comes in. And some of it's based on, on leaders and on people who begin to cry out and say, God, we're so desperate for you. We have tried to do it in our own strength. We've put on church services and we've done this and that. And we do it as best we can. But you know what? It is not going to happen. We are just not smart enough. We're just not powerful enough. We're just not sharp enough to do the kind of things that changes the hearts of people, that, and that rearranges the spirit in people's lives so that marriages get better and families get more whole and people begin to, to who, who have been not able to hold a job can hold a job and, and people that are struggling in their own personal life with addictions. What happens? The Spirit of God comes because people get on their knees and they start to cry and they say, God... When are we going to be tired of trying to do this in our own strength? Because we know that it can only be done in your strength. Send your Holy Spirit and power. And it seems that Jesus would say when he walked into one place where he grew up, where he was a prophet, and he said, you know what? Only a few miracles could be done here. Only the spirit realm could only interact a little bit with the physical because they just didn't what? Believe. And the disciples at one time came to Jesus and they said, you know, this boy he keeps throwing himself on the ground. We tried to heal him. We couldn't do anything about it. And Jesus comes over, takes him aside, heals this boy who is, who is, who is these spirits that are seeking to kill him. And they say to him later, but, but, but Jesus, you know, you've trained us. We've been doing this. How come we couldn't do it? And he goes, this requires prayer and fasting. This requires the kind of faith that's built through a life that's connected to me and to the Father so that there's a spiritual power that can be released when it needs to be released. And if you note that during those times of increased spiritual awareness, there is also an increase, not just in angels and the works of God, but there is an upsurge in demonic activity. You ever wonder why? You know how smart Satan is? If good things are truly, genuinely happening here, if he wants to get a bunch of people who are afraid of this, who may even be followers of Jesus, what he'll do is do counterfeit weird things and it'll get messy and he'll do these things so that people can go, <laughs> stay away from that. And you know what he'll do? He'll do in, in our culture, he'll, he'll allow for these kind of shows that come on that talk about witches and this and that and all these other things because people are spiritually hungry. And if he knows there's a genuine, he likes to counterfeit it so he can throw people off. And so you'll see, whenever there's increased spiritual activity, whenever the possibility for the spirit to invade the physical, whenever it's possible for heaven to invade earth, guess what? Hell will too. And some people and some churches, because they just say, God, we want you so bad and through trust and faith, get to actually be a part of being those through faith who release the works of God. See, Satan would love for us to go to either extreme. 
you can make us totally inactive, if you can keep these two tiers separate. He goes, oh, yeah, there's a God up there. We kind of pray about him. Every once in a while we see him intervene or work. And then there's this other view of, well, there's a God that's just physical. And he can keep us. To, he, can keep, he loves to keep us off balance. Angels, here's the third thing I just want to mention. Angels, miracles, and the experiences of this realm of the spirit. Here's, they're, they're given primarily to glorify God and to serve us and others. Isn't that interesting? Hebrews 1, 13 and 14 says this. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? He's talking about Jesus here. And then he goes, are not all angels ministering or serving spirits sent to help and to serve those who will inherit salvation? Did you know that there's a spiritual realm around you? And do you know that there are angels that actually attend to you? And I bet you we don't even aware of it. I can tell you in my life, there was one time that I know distinctly that 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 God sent. I'm convinced an angel at a time when I was at my lowest point. I've had a number of them, but this was one. <laughs> I was at a very low point and I was um, just crying out to God. And I, it was like there was a, I mean, it's so real. It was like I wanted to look, I, and I did. I looked, I heard this, it'll be all right. And by faith, I just know that God had sent an angel. It was the most calming word in one of the most difficult times in my life. Matthew 4:11 says after the temptation in the wilderness we read the devil left Jesus and the angels came and what attended him Luke 22:41 through 43 in the garden of Gethsemane Jesus withdrew a stone's throw beyond them knelt down and prayed father if you're willing take this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done and an angel from heaven the realm of the spirit just opened kind of you know the veil and appeared to him and strengthened him God steps through this realm of the Spirit through angels and with power by His Holy Spirit in order to serve us and others that we're to serve. There are angels all about us in this realm called the Spirit, which is just a thin layer. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he writes, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, catch this, the veil is taken away. And the realm of the Spirit is available and the Spirit is given, but not necessarily lived in. That takes faith and development of growth. I was watching um, that movie of, of some of you remember back in the 50s, um, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and a bunch of them who were in Ecuador. And they went down to the Amazon area where they were trying to, to, to uh, reach this tribe. This tribe was the most brutal, vicious, murderous group of people. They had gotten to this vicious cycle of going back and forth and, and wiping out many of the other tribes. The government was just really months or weeks to months away from sending in the military to wipe the whole tribe out. But God is a God who saves every tribe or a person from every tribe, right? And Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and the others chose that they were going to take this window of opportunity, land there, and try and make and build a friendship with these with these just murderous people. They get there, and, and the story end of the spear is all about it. It's this interesting thing. It was in the movie theaters, in fact. They get to, the, they get to that place. They, start, uh, they land the plane. They meet with them. Things are going okay until finally something happens, and, and, the, and these mur- this murderous group of warriors kill all four of them. The movie goes on, talks about the wives of these men with their children eventually move into that tribe. 
and over the years begins to work to them, with them. Steve Saint, the son of Nate Saint, killed by one of the lead warriors of that group, grows up for a few years in that tribe, eventually moves back to the U.S. This is in the 50s. 1994, he returns to that tribe to the person who killed his father, meets with his father, with, with, this, with this man who killed his father. They have this meeting, and in this meeting, this man who had killed Nate Saint, Steve Saint's father, Nate, he says to me, tells about how it happened and everything. And then he goes and he shares with them one last thing. He says, you don't realize that when he actually took the spear and he drove in his heart. And when Nate Saint was lying there on that sand, dying, looking up, he, Chemo and a few others of these names, these people, saw angels coming down. And he told Steve Saint this in 19, years later. There is a realm, folks, and they come to serve us. They came to serve those who were being martyred, but they came also to serve that martyred death to reach this guy who had killed him, and he becomes a believer. And it's really kind of neat. At the end of the movie, they show a picture of this guy. Steve Saint takes this um, warrior who is now a believer back to the U.S., and they just have a few clips. And I mean, he's from a Stone Age kind of tribe. He's telling the people, it's really neat. You pull up the houses and they're so nice there that they actually will take warm food and, uh, and put it through a window and give it to you while you're in this vehicle or this thing that moves. And you know, he was at McDonald's. He talked about, he said, that, he said, one of the reasons the people are so these the, the um, people in the West are so heavy is because their trails move and they don't have to walk. He was in the airport and you're on those, one of those trails. <laughs> Just so funny. Anyway. Fourth, we're called to be open to these experiences, believe in them, but catch this, but not live for them. I give you a warning. Here's one of the great dangers. People are easily deceived as they hunger for an experience rather than a relationship with God. It's all about growing in relationship with God and growing in the character of Christ. And all these spiritual realities are to promote relationships of love. They are to serve us to love more fully like Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13 is very clear. You know, the wedding passage, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love. If I have the gift of prophecy and can all have all these mysteries and they have not love, if I have faith to move on, if I can do all these things, but I'm not in a relationship of love with God and with others. Jesus is so aware of this that when his disciples came back from their second field trip, he calls them together. They're so pumped up because they're, what they had seen was that these spirits had been coming under the, their submission. And Jesus, it says, Luke writes, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You know, it's no news to me. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, which is in the Old Testament often words for demonic spirits, and to overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. But catch this. It's not about living for the experiences it's about being in relationship. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't get caught up in the power, the experience, the excitement.